let's talk about uh, Canada's police forces. The budgets are being stretched uh, here in Toronto. We're looking at, uh, you know, more gunplay. We're looking at uh, a modernization and transformation. And with a limited budget, the question is, how can Canada's police forces be more effective and efficient? We're joined now by Christian Luprecht, who is senior fellow at the Macdonald Laurier Institute and professor at RMC in Queens. We've had him on the show before. It's good to have you on again. Thanks for having me. So you have uh, published a study entitled Where to Draw the Blue Line, How Civilians and Contractors Can Let Police Do the Policing. And you examine alternate service delivery. And so that that means relieving some of the pressure from municipalities and getting some um, ununiformed police to, to um, deliver services that are um, currently being delivered by uniformed police. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, I mean, even if you look, at, for instance, in, in this morning's Toronto Star, where with the article about that there's concerns about that traffic enforcement has fallen to its lowest level in years, that's because Toronto Police is simply not able to, with the current budget, staff up to the levels that they need in order to deal with the priority types of calls that they have. And so at the end of every shift, there's literally dozens of calls that have either gone unanswered or not dealt with uh, to the extent that perhaps uh, the public would have liked, but that's because calls get tiered and so you go to the highest priority calls and so traffic enforcement is usually not the highest priority when you have as you point out uh, serious public safety issues for instance to uh, to deal with and so this is a conversation not primarily about cutting budgets or cutting police officers. To the contrary, it's about where can we find efficiencies that we can reinvest in uniformed members. And so what I'm trying to generate here is a more informed conversation about how can we generate better outcomes for public and community safety um, with the budgets that we have. And I think that requires perhaps some rethinking about what we want to have these very highly trained, competent, uniformed members respond to, and what is it that we can do to make sure that other types of calls uh, that nonetheless the public deems of considerable importance in terms of public safety get dealt with and also get dealt with by the most qualified people possible. Think about, for instance, 40% of calls that uh, police services now get tend to be about mental health. And most police officers will tell you that they're not really optimally trained to deal with many of these calls. And so is there a better way that we can, for instance, respond to those? And is there also ways that in the back office we can relieve police officers from the increasing administrative burden that we as the public have imposed on them due to, on the one hand, complexity of crime, and on the other hand, all the accountability we want uniformed members to do uh, so that we can actually make sure that they can spend their time uh, on the pressing issues that uh, the public would like to see the uniform members doing rather than having to do uh, back office stuff, including paperwork, prisoner transport, and the like. Okay, so what services are we talking about? So we're, what we're not talking about, and there's pretty good survey evidence on this, is that anything that involves criminal code offenses, the public wants to continue to ensure that uh, uniform members deal with those. But issues that are not uniformed, uh, that, that don't involve uh, criminal code offenses necessarily, um, or after the fact, so everything from fingerprinting to, for instance, to prisoner transport, to much of the paid duty work that police currently do that is good for overtime and pocketbooks, 
but that really doesn't require uniform members, by and large, to perform. Uh, for instance, if you look to Quebec um, uh, at, uh, at large public events, almost all the security is provided uh, by uh, uh, civilians that work for the municipality and or a combination of private contractors with relatively limited uh, involvement by uniform police other than on the front end, uh, on the front end planning side, for instance. And Isn't so, this going to kind of raise a lot of privacy issues? Um, so, look, I think with the right legislation and with hiring the right and competent people and the right contracts, all of this is amply doable. I think Quebec is a good example of that. This is doable. Alberta has done it for decades. Nova Scotia uh, has been very much at the forefront of, uh, of innovation and, and, and where there's opportunity for civilianization and contracting. So exactly all the things that in Australia often raised as kind of, well, these things aren't doable or they raise all sorts of legislative or privacy concerns. Other jurisdictions are, are doing and have been doing for decades. And so, so they've already the got a model for us to work off of. Exactly. And that's what the study is about, trying to show that the things that in Ontario we pretend can't be done have already been done elsewhere uh, for a considerable period of time. And look, we're a different jurisdiction. Ontarians may decide that we want our legislative environment to look differently, which is fine. But I'm trying to have a more informed discussion. And certainly the current legislative environment is not favorable to innovation when it comes to the delivery of uh, public safety and community safety services. And it also imposes a disproportionate liability on municipalities that try to innovate in that space. And so I think we need to start with a conversation about how do we create an environment where we can actually uh, have greater experimentation uh, by municipalities. In Toronto, luckily, we have rising property tax uh, property values and so rising property taxes. But in many medium and small municipalities, policing service, uh, services and generally incident responders, so fire and to some extent paramedics, are cannibalizing other services that small municipalities are trying to provide for their communities. And so we simply need to think about um, a different way of doing business going forward. Do we need to allow private operators to carry weapons as well? Because we have a gun problem. So I think we need to distinguish among three different types of concepts. Civilianization, so taking uniformed positions and having those uniform tasks perhaps performed by civilians that are particularly highly competent in one particular area. Um, contracting, so having outsiders that are contracted with significant oversight and control um, by either city hall or police services for those services. And privatization, where we effectively give up control and give to the private sector certain aspects of service delivery. And by by and large, we are not talking about privatization. We are talking about civilianization and we are talking about contracting, which may be delivered by some third party and private operators, but with significant control and significant contract constraints imposed upon them um, by, uh, by the public institutions that hire them for those services. So I think we need to be part of this is about also um, providing some clarity on what it is that we're talking about. We're not talking about privatizing police mm. services. But you brought up those words, privatizing and uh, contracting, and that is going to make, you know, police associations and unions nervous. What are you hearing from them? Are they your biggest um, obstacle to get past when it comes to, you know, providing alternate service delivery? 
So look, this is only going to work if associations and chiefs are on side. And I think associations will tell you that many of their members are dealing with calls that they'd rather not deal with, that they don't feel that they are optimally trained uh, to deal with, and where they feel they would like to be able to, for instance, deliver on things such as uh, such as traffic stops, uh, as, as the Toronto Star raised this morning, because traffic stops often uh, then also provide opportunity to identify people who are involved in other types of illicit activity. And so if we can't engage in traffic stops, it means that we're not identifying um, um, other types of potentially illicit activities. So I think uh, associations can be on side here, and the key here is to demonstrate, as for instance has been done in Vancouver, in Winnipeg, in Montreal, that this is not about cutting the number of uniform members, but rather it's reinvesting the efficiencies and the savings that we can generate through contracting and civilianization and reinvesting that on the uniform side of the force. And so that way it can be a win-win for all sides involved. How do we get this implemented? Do we have to reach peak uh, public support and the police force has to see that? Well, certainly I think we need to have a more nuanced conversation. We need to have a broader recognition that uh, simply the resources that are being provided are no longer adequate to the challenges and the complexities of policing today and the expectations that the public has of their police, uh, of their police services. Um, and for us to realize that if we look at uh, the ability to where, where this has already been done successfully and learning uh, learning from the successes, but also from some of the failures, for instance, um, in, the, uh, in some aspects of this in the United Kingdom, um, that I think we can have, uh, we, we can generate better outcomes overall for the public here. Um, but it's not going to, uh, e- even if Toronto City Hall and the Toronto Police Service, for instance, today wanted to have this conversation, the legislative environment would make it extremely difficult for them to do so. Uh, and so this is also about the political leadership at the provincial level stepping up and uh, and making sure they uh, provide the sort of opportunities uh, for both democratic public debate and for innovation that is currently being stifled by the legislative Well, government. let's hope the Premier's listening because I know he does tune into the show. So thank you so much, Christian. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show. It's been my pleasure. Thank All you. All right. Cheers. All right. Stick around. It's Global News Radio 640 Toronto.